Let's pray. Oh, gracious Lord, our Redeemer, we come before you this morning anticipating, Father, with grand hearts, with, with thankful hearts, uh, what you have done for us in Jesus Christ and what you are about to do, uh, Father, as you reclaim us and redeem us as your own. We thank you for the hope of his coming, the hope of resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that in this season, as we search our hearts uh, during this Lenten season and we repent of our sins, Father, we thank you that, uh, that there comes also that day of resurrection. That day when we realize that all of our sins have been forgiven, that Christ lives and we live in him. We thank you, Lord, for this morning that we come together to praise your name. And we pray that as we go into the book of Ruth, that uh, your Holy Spirit will guide us, inform us, and lead us to use what we learn. Father, I thank you for this church and for everyone in it. We are the body of Christ in this place, and together we sing your praises. And amen. Morning. morning. I'm going to read the scripture. It's from Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him to her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God. Well, thank you for that reading of uh, a passage from Ruth. Most people know one passage from Ruth, or they may not have it memorized, but they are familiar with it. And that is a passage uh, that's often uh, used at weddings. Uh, where Ruth makes a commitment, a covenant with her mother-in-law that uh, uh, she will remain with her and that her God will be uh, Ruth's God and that uh, Ruth will go wherever she goes and that uh, she will be buried with her, meaning until the very end of life, this commitment is made with you. And it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful passage. Uh, But also, as I went into Ruth this week, and Ruth is about uh, 2,000 words, just a little bit more than 2,000 words. It takes about 15 minutes to read the story. But I saw so many other very rich things in there. And so as we continue with this next-to-last sermon on redemption, uh, I hope that uh, uh, the meaning of how God has redeemed us is beginning to break through to us. Uh, The Old Testament, I'm I'm big on on, uh, trying to see things at, at a... Uh, you know, at that 50,000 foot level, to not just focus in on uh, one little part of Scripture, but to see the overall themes of Scripture and to see how Scriptures connect to each other and what the big picture thing here is. And if you were to look at the Old Testament and summarize it, uh, you would say it is about God's constant, faithful attempts to bring his people who are constantly rebelling against him back to him. 
It's about reconciliation. And for reconciliation to happen with the Holy God, we have to be redeemed. Somehow, the sins that that are within us, the sins that we have committed, they need to be cleansed and taken away, redeemed. And so as we read the book of Ruth this morning, although it's written centuries before Jesus Christ is born, we see the message of Jesus Christ there, just as we do all through the Old Testament. It is incredible how... Uh, Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament story. The Old Testament story, again, is one of our constant rebellion. It did, you don't take long to get into Genesis until uh, you have the fall. God has created us in his image. It is very good, he says. Everything he says is good each day, and then he gets to human beings and he says, very good. He loves us. And he declares us to be good. But then there is that, that fall, that rebellion, that deception by Satan that, 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 that puts us into a position where suddenly we are in need of God's grace in a way that only he can save us. You know, one of the incredible things and one of, I think the great lies of, of Satan throughout history has been that we can redeem ourselves. You know, so often when you ask people, you know, do you think you're going to heaven? Uh, you know, they, they will give you that stock answer. Well, I think I've done enough good things. What they're saying there is, I think I can redeem myself. I think I can save myself. And the message of the Old Testament carried forth into the New Testament is absolutely we cannot redeem ourselves. It's impossible. We need God. And the more I live life and the more I go into his word, the more I realize how far away I am from him. And it is a constant, uh, a constant uh, relationship with God that draws me uh, both closer to him and also uh, more aware of how much I need him, uh, the sin that is in, in my own life. So uh, as, we, as we go into Ruth this morning, really, uh, if you have a, a Bible and you want to turn there, it's right after Judges. And the reason is, you'll notice at the very beginning, it says, during the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. We have no idea of the exact date when Ruth is written. If God chooses to give us exact dates, that's fine. That, that accomplishes it. Uh, this story is a story that transcends time. And so we have very little evidence as to when it was written, except it says, in the time when the judges ruled. And preceding Ruth, in our Bibles uh, is, are the, uh, is the book of Judges. And it's a time when they did not have a king. It's before King Saul and King David. It's a time when, when a group of wise people are, are raised up. Samson is, is one of them. Sometimes wise, sometimes strong, but needed to keep the people together. And each of the tribes has a judge. But eventually they get a king. But this is in the time before the kings. It says in that time... There was a famine in the land, meaning in the land uh, where, the, uh, where the Hebrews lived. A man with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem of Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. They're going from Bethlehem, which means house of bread, because there's a famine there. There's some irony there that in the house of bread, there is no bread. And they go to the land of Moab. Now, the land of Moab is, in, in, in biblical history, there is a constant tension between the, the Jews, the Hebrews, and the Moabites. And most of the time, uh, it's a very strained, violent relationship that they have with each other. But at this time, there seems to be peace between them. 
And so the people go back and forth, and the Moabites offer hospitality to the Hebrews, and they see, they see their dilemma, and they're willing for them to come in. That's one of the other themes of Scripture you're going to find a lot of times. You find it in the Levitical laws in, in, in Leviticus, and you find it all through the prophets, is that we are to treat the alien and the sojourner in our land, the person who's not of us, with mercy. And so very often the law would say if you have a field, don't harvest the entire field, but leave a section of it for the strangers and the poor to come uh, to glean out of there so that they can eat. And that's part of our story here uh, today also. Um, The name of that man, a man with his wife and two sons, went from Bethlehem of Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. The name of that man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. There were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, they entered the territory of Moab and settled there. So that's kind of your introduction, identifying uh, our, uh, some of our main characters here. Now, several of these main characters die right off. Elimelech, who is the uh, husband of Naomi, he dies. And then ten, year, and ten years later, his sons, who have taken wives, one is named Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah, okay? And the other is Ruth. They both die. So now you have three widows, a mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law, and they're all widowed. That's a bad situation in those days. It's a bad situation uh, today to lose somebody and, to, and sometimes to realize that, that you don't know how you're going to go on. You don't know how you're financially going to go on. But this time, they're absolutely dependent upon the mercy of others Or, as you see later in the book, someone who is called a kinship redeemer. Someone in their family who has the responsibility for them. But see, they're in Moab. They're not back home. So they have no way to care for themselves. So so they begin a journey together. Uh, Naomi arose along with her daughters-in-law to return from the field of Moab because while in the territory of Moab she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to this people by providing food for them. She left the place where she had been and her two daughters-in-law went with her. What they're saying is they began to go back to Judah because the famine has ended in Judah. They can go back to Bethlehem, their hometown, and be there. But as they go along, and this is interesting, Naomi... Uh, whether just out of empathy and sympathy for her daughters-in-law and concern that they have no husbands, uh, says, and, and knowing that Ruth is a Moabite and, and Orpah is a Moabite, why don't you guys just stay here? It's much more likely you're going to find people uh, in your own land than if you go over to Bethlehem and try to marry into the Hebrew people. So why don't you stay here and find husbands? It was an interesting thing. Of course, I, I married somebody who came from Cuba. She's an American citizen. I, I, I made sure of that before I married her. Because uh, 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 then she would have just been marrying me to get the citizenship, and then, then she would have left me. So, uh, But uh, it was interesting. I was reading some of my dad's old letters to his father when he was in the Pacific during the war, World War II, and my dad was talking about some of these guys paying $300 to ship their wives back. They had gotten married out in the Pacific. He didn't uh, specify. They could have been from New Zealand. They could have been uh, natives on the islands. But uh, they, these guys were getting married, and they were shipping their wives back to the States, and it cost them 300 bucks, which was a lot of money for, for a Marine back in World War II out in the Pacific to do that. And so, but my dad assured uh, his uh, father, now he's 17 at the time, 
And he says, I assure you, I'm going to wait until I get home to get married and, and marry a real American. <laughs> and so I read that and I thought, I wonder what my dad thought of Lydia when I came on, on that and all too. But he was 17. A lot of years had intervened and he loved Lydia. So, uh, but, but Naomi has this concern that she knows that they'll, it'll be easier for them if they marry in their own kind. And so Orpah, uh, she decides, yeah, I'll, I'll stay. Now she kisses her mother-in-law. It's an affectionate relationship. But she realizes, I've got to sort of live for myself. I've got to make my own decision. You know, that's the world we live in today. Things don't change, folks. Generation after generation, we're all still the same, whether it's two, two 3,000 years ago or today. Uh, most people want to look out for number one. They want to do what's best for them. And Orpah says, you know, Okay, I'm going to do what, what most people would do. I'm sticking around here. I'm not going with Naomi on this long trip. But Ruth replies uh, to Naomi. Now remember, Ruth is not a Hebrew. Uh, the God of the Hebrews is not the God she grew up with. She had her own gods. She has her own people in Moab. But this is what she says to, to Naomi, the Hebrew. She says, Don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and more so, if even death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. I thought that was interesting. You know, you just seen this mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, and Naomi really, really wants her to go back, to not go with her. And Naomi just says, whatever, and they don't talk to each other. On the journey, they're not talking to each other. You know, very, very. Uh, if you read between the lines, there, it's it's kind of obvious. Uh, she gives her the the silent treatment. So they both of them they go along until they arrive in Bethlehem. Uh, and when they arrive in Bethlehem, the whole town is excited on account of them, and the women of the town ask, can this be Naomi? Now, that tells me Naomi was a popular person, a respected person. People were excited to see her. And the fact is, they said, can this be Naomi? Tells me also that. Life was hard on her. It had been, it had been some, uh, some time now that she had been gone and she had been in a land uh, of, of famine uh, or without the support of a husband and, and the support of her sons. And she's probably a bit hungry. She may have lost some weight. She also had the weight of grief upon her. Uh, Naomi's kind of a pessimistic uh, person. Here's what uh, she says back, if you go back a little bit. Uh, she says uh, to her daughter, she says, May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her household. And then Naomi says, uh, she tells him and says, you need to turn back. I'm too old for a husband. And if I were to say that, I have hope. Even if I have a husband tonight and even more, if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? And, and, and then she, she gets into this very pessimistic thing. And she says, uh, she says to the people when she gets back to Bethlehem, she says, uh, don't call me Naomi. Naomi, by the way, it doesn't tell you this here, but it means sweet. Don't call me sweet. Can this be Naomi? No. Don't call me Naomi anymore. My name has changed. I've changed it to Mira, which means bitter. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has returned me empty. Why would you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has deemed me guilty? This is a woman who's totally given up. 
God's dealt with her. He's declared her guilty. There's no hope of, of, of redemption here in her heart. And she sees life as over. Thus Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, returned with her from the territory of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now this is important because they're there in time to where they maybe can go out and glean in some of the fields as people who are, are poor and need that. Now, if you go on, there's, there's, there's uh, uh, several more chapters here in Ruth, and I can't read through every one of them. But what happens here is when they get back, Naomi has a kinship redeemer who has been assigned to her. She also has someone in her family named Boaz. And essentially what she does is uh, Ruth seems to be a very pure person. And she's not someone to deceive. And she goes out into the fields to work and it just happens to be that it's Boaz's field. And it says, you know, by God's grace, by his providence, she happened to show up in Boaz's field. And Boaz comes out, and he's observing all the people who are working for him, plus the people who are gleaning the aliens in the land and the poor people, and among them is Ruth. And then he, he, uh, he asks who she is, and this relationship begins to develop. Well, when Ruth returns home from the fields that night, and Naomi says, well, how did it go? And she says, well, I met this guy named Boaz. And Naomi says, oh, he's, a, he's family of mine. That's great. You know, here, let me do your hair. <laughs> let me put some makeup on you. And here's what you're going to do. Tonight you're going to go to this party. You're not supposed to be there at the dinner, but you're going to show up, and you're going to sneak yourself in, and you're going to go lie down beside him. And she does that, and then it says that uh, during the night, uh, Boaz sneezed. I think what he did, men, do you do this? Women, maybe some of you too. You do this where you have that loud snoring uh, thing, all of a sudden you're just snoring along, and all of a sudden you I'm, I'm not going to make the sound, but it sounds like a pig, you know. <laughs> About the time your wife, you know, pokes you and tells you to stop it. You know, that really terrible, embarrassing moment. And you wake yourself up in it. Well, that happened during the night. And Ruth is laying there. And he says, he says uh, you know, who are you? You know, she's got all the makeup on and everything. And, uh, and she reveals that to him. And she actually, in the language here, proposes to him. She proposes to him. Now, customs and things were a little bit different back then. Customs, wedding customs change, and marriage customs change. Back then, Boaz then would have had to bring something to the marriage. And, and, and uh, she doesn't have anything to bring to it, but he has to bring something into the marriage. She's not going to wear a white dress. When did white dresses become, in, in weddings, become fashionable? Anybody know, historically? Queen Victoria, right. 1800s, Queen Victoria. She wore a white dress, and from then on, everybody wore the white white dresses, uh, and uh, that became tradition. So traditions are very different, but anyways, Boaz and Ruth end up getting married. Now Boaz has to go, this is funny, there's a funny section here where Ruth comes back and says, says well, it went really well, and, and uh, we're going to get married, and, uh, but there's a problem because Boaz isn't the first kinship redeemer, he's second on the list, there's this other person. And so Naomi says, oh don't worry, he won't quit until he's got you. You know, Naomi knows a guy, and she knows Boaz is infatuated with Ruth, and that, uh, that he's going to do everything he can. So then it says the next day, <laughs> Boaz is out, and he's making the deal, and he becomes the kinship redeemer. Now here's what, one beautiful thing on all this. You may say, well, it sounds like Boaz was just attracted to her for the makeup and the hair. But Boaz says, I heard about you. Before he ever met her, he, he reveals, I had heard about you. 
you were a woman who was faithful to your mother-in-law. And he goes on and says all the good things he has heard about her. He fell in love with Ruth before he ever met her. He fell in love with the woman who would sacrifice herself for her mother-in-law like that. A stranger in the land to come to a strange place with strange customs and a different God and to say, your God will be my God. And he knew this was a special woman. And so the book of Ruth ends with this uh, uh, beautiful uh, redemption of Naomi holding her grandson in her arms. And she's happy now. This is a woman who had given up on God. God has treated me uh, so poorly, call me bitter from now on. And yet Ruth, through the whole thing, maintains a faith in a God who was not her God. But she came to believe in this God and placed her faith in him and that he would redeem. Boaz was the kinship redeemer in the end, but Ruth sees God, this God, as the ultimate redeemer. And the picture here that people have assigned to Ruth in terms of the church is that the church is the bride of Christ, just as Ruth was the bride of Boaz, and that Jesus Christ redeems us. But he does more than, than uh, you know, back then it, redeeming meant that he, uh, he went and he found property that rightfully belonged to them. He was kind of like a lawyer uh, going uh, to make sure that the estate was fairly treated. And so it was about property and security. But there is only one Redeemer who can forgive our sins. Redeem us from the darkness of our souls. And that's Jesus Christ. This, this, this whole idea of redemption runs through all the scriptures right into Jesus Christ. Now here is, here's the other thing that we learn from Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. Uh, she becomes the grandmother of David. King David's grandmother is from a foreign land. King David is an ancestor of who? Jesus Christ. God, uh, if you look at the lineage of Jesus, it's a spotty lineage. <laughs> There's some people there who did some terrible things, including David, who, who murdered his best friend so that he could get his wife. Now, if that doesn't bring you some hope, folks, I mean, there's some bad people here this morning. Charles? Get, get, right? Uh, I mean, I hate to call you out but in front of everybody, but... I think, they, I think they all knew anyways. There's some, there's some bad people around, and yet when you look, God uses people who to us don't deserve it. He uses them to bring the Redeemer of the world into the world as a way of saying to us, don't worry, I can redeem anybody. I can save anybody. You know, Lot goes through some really tough times, you know, in the, in the book of Lot, a much longer book. And he comes to this point, I think it's in the, uh, maybe the 19th chapter, about halfway through. And he says to these guys, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that one day he shall set foot on this earth and I will see him. Though I die, I will see him. Used to sing a song in, the, in a church, it's not in our hymnals, but I know that my Redeemer lives. I love that song. I know that my Redeemer lives. Folks, this morning we know that our Redeemer lives. As we come to the communion table this morning, the cup after supper, the third cup of the four cups of the Passover meal was what? There was a cup of sanctification. 
There was a cup of judgment. There was a cup of blessing. But, but in between the cup of judgment and the cup of blessing, there was a cup, and it was the cup of redemption. And that is the cup, when we read in Luke and we read in Matthew and we read in Mark, that is the cup that Jesus Christ is drinking. When he, when he takes the cup after the supper, that's why we know it's that cup. It is the first cup after the supper. And he takes that cup. And then he says this. He says, and I'm not going to drink of this anymore. And it appears in the Gospels that the Passover meal ends without the fourth, the cup of blessing, being drunk. That the last cup Jesus will drink with his disciples is the cup of redemption. Because one day we shall stand together before God and we will drink the cup of blessing and we will bless his name forever. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about that you and I, despite, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, I'm so, so afraid that I can't get into heaven. I've been with people in their, in their uh, almost 100 years old who have said, I'm not sure that I will get into heaven. Folks, know this morning that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, in, that, in this God, as Ruth did, that you will see your Redeemer. That you will be with Him. And this morning we, cup and we, we come together and we drink this cup of redemption together just as Jesus did. Proclaiming to all the world that He is our one and only Redeemer. Let's pray. Holy Father, we give you thanks, O Lord, for the blessings that you have showered down upon us. Father, even when we, we tend to be like Naomi and we're seeing only the bitter parts of life, we know, Lord, that there, uh, there are things at work. You are working behind the scenes to bring great victories for your people. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry that Shauna has uh, at All 7. It's not just a ministry across the street, Father. It's a ministry here. It's a ministry in Verona and beyond. And we pray, Father, you will continue to use her, uh, to gift her, and, Father, to in every way bless her and the people who come to worship at All 7 who are also part of this congregation. We pray, Lord, as we leave this place this day that we will go out uh, in the springtime weather and we'll give praise to you, Father, for the sweetness of the air and the beauty of our salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and amen.